everyone, and welcome to the Coaching to Flourish podcast. In this episode, I interview Lindsay Helm. She is one of Coach Training EDU's most experienced trainers. She is absolutely phenomenal in what she does, in her ability to connect with people, in her insights around resilience and mindset, and moving forward even in the face of tragedy. Five years ago, her husband was involved in a kayak accident where he became paralyzed from the waist down. It was a tragic event that put Lindsay and Matt and their young son, Hunter, on a completely different trajectory. And one of the things that I admire most about Lindsay is her ability to take this tragedy and to use the energy and the insights and the resilience that she built and Matt built in themselves to launch their, their practice, her coaching practice, as well as a physical training gym in Philadelphia and to have a deep impact on the lives of hundreds of people they work with. My biggest takeaway from this talk with Lindsay was this ability and almost necessity to allow ourselves to feel the pain, have bad days, go into that, and also have the strength to move forward and recognize when it's time to move forward. I'm excited to share this podcast with you. Let's take a listen. Super psyched. On the agenda today is we get to hear Lindsay's story. We're going to go into the idea of growth mindset and this idea of unknowable potential. And then we're going to, to continue with your Q&A and more good things to follow. And we're going to keep this one a little shorter. We're going to run about 50 minutes, I think, because Lindsay has to run right after this to go do a training uh, with her own uh, Go work out. <laughs> a workout with Stand Strong Training Center. Yes. And first, a quick introduction of Lindsay. So Lindsay is a fellow Pennsylvanian growing up on the other side in Philly. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, went to Cornell for her undergrad and then uh, has a master's from Cornell and UPenn in psychology and- So I have my bachelor's from Cornell. I have two masters from Penn in psychology okay. and professional counseling. They just did their program a little funny. It's like the same as a single master's, but they had it structured differently. It's impressive. <laughs> two sounds cool. <laughs> okay. Right, why not? And <laughs> And now, and, and you train in the academic and the ALC sport, and you run a training center with Matt, Matt Helm. Uh, yes. Strong Training Center, which you started uh, in uh, Downington? Yes, Downingtown. Downingtown. D-Town, yes. <laughs> really, on the other side, on the, <laughs> the, Easter, the eastern side of the state. And, uh, and today we're going to share about, uh, you know, talk about growth mindset. Uh, so Lindsay, I would love to start with, uh, first off, thanks for being here and doing, you know, part of our resilience series. And I'd love to just start with, uh, what, what's your story? Like, how did you, like, what was your story from, let's say, you know, high school to college, uh, to oh. coaching? Yeah. Okay. And thank you for having me. I was really excited to be able to jump in. I think this topic right now is especially so important. So the more we can share, with the world, the better. Um, I'll try to keep, I can be long-winded as any of my, I see a lot of my coaches that I train jumping in. So hi everybody, thanks for joining. Um, and as many of them know, I can be long-winded. So I'll try to keep it concise as possible. Um, I went to high school around here in Downingtown, Downingtown High School. Before the split, there are now two of them. Um, so grew up here and then I really just was excited to go to Cornell. My dad actually went there. I had a little rebellious period where I told him I didn't want to go there because it was too cold. 
and we went and looked at schools down south. And then I was like, let me just look one more time. So I went to Cornell and I actually rode crew for my first two years, but I am a rugby player at heart. I grew up playing rugby and soccer. And I decided my junior year to go back to the field because the boat on the water is cool, but it's not the same if you're a field player. So I went back to rugby my last two years and even played into my adult after college um, on lo a local women's team and a developmental team, which was amazing. But going to Cornell, I knew I wanted to go into psychology. I wasn't sure what realm. I actually have, like I experimented with a lot of different topics. I originally wanted to go into like psychology and law and I went in forensics. And so I remember I actually went and viewed autopsies in Syracuse for a couple of days and got to see their forensics lab. But after that, I was like, that's pretty good. And I was like, maybe I'll look at a different route. And then I looked at psychiatry. I was pre-med for a couple of years and I decided I didn't want to take physics. So then I went into research and I actually went into adolescent research and worked for a professor at Cornell and really liked that. I got an internship at Penn um, for the summer between my junior and senior year uh, running a mental health study. And then when I went back for my senior year, I actually still got to continue that research from like remotely. And so that kind of helped cement my path more towards the academics at that time. So after college, I went back and worked where I had my internship at Penn and that's where I found the master's program because it took me a while. I wasn't sure with the bachelor's in psychology, there's many directions you can go, but there's not a lot of direct paths you can go without a master's. So I got my master's over time while working full time there. Um, I ended up working both in the mental health piece and then eventually I actually ended up working at the sleep center, the Penn Sleep Center. I ran a, a study on truck drivers and sleep apnea. So I've learned a lot. <laughs> I've had a lot of different roles. And when I finally finished my master's, because it took me several years doing it part time, I then got a job working in intensive outpatient program. So I worked with adolescents in drug and alcohol abuse. And my husband, my then boyfriend and I moved in together. And he was the one who actually told me about the article that told me about you. So that's how I first discovered academic life coaching is John was featured in an article online. And because I liked what I was doing, but I still felt like there was something missing. Um, back then positive psychology so at Penn has their positive psychology program but it was basically slated for post-professionals so I didn't really yet qualify to take that as a program but I knew I liked that positive for present and future focus of it and strengths-based focus of it so I saw the article with John I was like this is what I want to do academic life coaching sounds amazing and I called John I signed up for the training and I trained with you 2011-2012 for the ALC program to start before Zoom. That's when it really started to take off, the, the training. And you, so you went through at the same time Hayden went through. Yes, yeah. I don't think we're in the same class. I think he was like a cohort before me. Right. And then, yeah. Right, yeah, that was, uh, that was exciting times. And so this was, this was eight years, eight years ago. What was the moment, when, when you, when you got, first got into coaching, what was the moment when you knew, yes, coaching is, coaching is what you thought it was or, or that coaching is the future here? Oh, that is a good one. Um, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. One of my favorite tools with coaching was the Enneagram. And actually this week for our gym, for our training center, I'm running daily mindset masteries and we're talking about the Enneagram. And I think for me, that tool and learning how to coach with it, like having that coaching perspective on it 
was a huge game changer for me. It really gave me insights into how I was getting in my own way, why I was interested and always looking for the next best thing as a seven. And it really helped me dial in and focus. And anything that can help me do that was a game changer. And it really helped me just to understand how much I love coaching and how much I love being able to help people figure out where they want to go and how to get there. Um, and also it coincided with, I ended up actually taking a job working in employee engagement at more in the corporate world and to see how the coaching tools not just applied to students, but also in a professional business sense. Like they were actually working with somebody who was professionally certified in the Enneagram and other coaching techniques. So just to see the universality of how valuable coaching is across multiple disciplines and multiple populations for me, that it's just, I really think everybody can benefit from coaching hundred percent. Right. It feels like basic human training on some deep level. Yeah. You know, everyone needs this. Like, Imagine a world where everyone were coach trained. That Amazing. <laughs> at least, you know, some, everyone has to take a course at the end of high school. Uh, that's what we're aiming for. Uh, so, what, so with uh, so the self awareness, right? The, the Enneagram is a tool based on self awareness. What was the piece, or what was the part of the tool? Uh, what, what was the what was the piece of the tool that made the biggest difference? Of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Oh, when I, I was trying to decide which number I was, and I couldn't tell if I was a seven or an eight based on self-selection. And I remember I went back and forth for like at least a week, maybe more. But there is one part of the description where it's as a seven, I have many unfinished projects flying around. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is it. I'm actually a seven with an eight wing. So the realist. Um, but just having that, that one piece to be able to see how I would get really excited about things up front and then move on before finishing them. And I was like, wow, look how much I have not been able to accomplish. Like, I, I did fine, I like, life was good. But it just gave me that aha moment of like, wow, like what would it be like to really stick with and follow through things? And how do I know when something's that important to me that I will follow through with it? Right. So I mean, typically sevens, enthusiasts on this, and it's cool that we, you know, it's based on the Enneagrams, core motivation, or, I think there are a couple of different names for it. It's used a lot in the corporate world, really. Uh, not so much in education world, but that's changing too. I hope uh, so. It's used yeah, more heavily in the corporate world. Uh, in, in looking at, uh, you know, sevens, typically we have to look at our ideas of you know, what's hard, what's difficult, and stay with it and work through it. How did the idea and what we're looking at today of growth mindset, how did that change the way that you saw yourself or the theory that you had about yourself? Oh, so, and I'll tell you, so I actually didn't learn about growth mindset until 2.0. So okay. there was a little bit of a break. So my training in 2012, I had my own business on the side, but I was still working full time because we were adulting, like getting a house, getting married. Um, so having that steady income was really helpful, but I still was not leaving coaching behind. I was still always trying to keep it active. But then after my husband's accident, I saw the um, sign up for the 2.0. That was when we first really dove into it. And that, the growth mindset was the idea, you know, and assume, should I, do you want me to give a quick? Yeah, let's go into it. So for anybody who doesn't know, I know a lot of us do know, but a lot of people may not know. I didn't know. And I feel like I was behind the curve on learning it. I wish I'd had it earlier. So the general overview, so it comes from Carol Dweck, um, a Stanford um, psychology professor. She wrote a book called Mindset and essentially categorizes it 
mindset into one of two pieces, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. So the fixed mindset has um, that perspective that you're basically what you're born with is what you get. So whether that's intelligence, personality, athleticism, you basically are, have that belief that you're born with a certain amount and that's that. The growth mindset, on the other hand, it believes that what you're sure you're born with a certain amount of something, right? But that can be developed with effort and talent and or not talent, sorry, with effort and dedication, right? The fixed mindset tends to more believe that you have like endowed talent, whereas the growth mindset believes that your talent can be developed with persistence. And for me, the key moment, which I know John's alluded to, is looking at that growth mindset where it's not just that your potential is unknown, but it's unknowable. And that piece of like the fact that you can't ever know what your potential ever is or will be, that blew my mind. <laughs> and that I learned in the context when we were just getting through my husband's accident and to give me that perspective, it not only gave me a perspective in the moment, but it gave me a perspective that I was able to like reflect back on my life and see, okay, so this is where I was able to move forward. And this is where, because of a growth mindset, this is where I was getting in my way because of a fixed mindset. So for example, like I was always like a straight A student and I, but I was motivated for the grade. What I missed out on was actually studying in a way that helped me retain the information and realizing that the learning and the process was more valuable than the grade itself. But back then I didn't know that and I wish I had. Um, so both, it gave me the perspective of what worked, what might not have worked, you know, what I could have learned, and then also what I could use moving forward with a growth mindset. And I'll say that's why I ended up running a marathon, <laughs> which I told myself I never would. Uh, that's why I started my own coaching business. That's why we started our own gym. The growth mindset perspective was just eye-opening for me. I have a graphic prepared. Yeah. Uh, growth, I'm fixing growth mindset. Here, let me get, let me get it here. Can everyone see that? Oh, I love it. All right. So, so yeah, Lindsay, you want to walk us through a little bit of, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, well, let's sharpen it just a little bit. Sure. Uh, with what, what impacted, or, you know, each of these ideas, right, the fixed mindset and growth mindset, uh, what was, how did you apply this specifically to establishing your coaching practice? Absolutely. Um, so thinking about, I mean, I can just start from the top, right? So I love that in the center of the graphic, you can see like the general category, but you can see the different perspectives on each side. So if I look at my skills and intelligence as a coach, right, with that mindset characteristic category, from a fixed mindset, if I had a set mindset, I'd be like, wow, my skills and intelligence as a coach, that's just how it is. There's going to be, you know, other coaches are there and they're more successful just because they're better than me. Right, me, which has that underlying sense that I'm not as good. But the growth mindset perspective would be my skills and intelligence as a coach, as an entrepreneur and building a business, it depends on effort. And so the huge piece of that is it takes the pressure off of me, right? To think that, okay, so if it's not about other people just naturally and you know undeniably being better than me, if it's not about that from a fixed mind pers perspective, fixed mindset perspective, if it is about growth mindset, it's about effort. So where instead can I put an effort? Effort is what we can absolutely contr can control. And especially even right now with the coronavirus situation, one of the most pr 
like biggest places we can find power is looking at what we can and can't control. And I can control my effort. And that's going to have a huge impact on whether or not I can develop the skills and intelligence it takes to become a skilled and effective coach and an effective business owner. So right there, it's night and day. Whereas if I had that fixed mindset, if I had another coach with a successful business or, um, you know, like competition, I might quit, for example, or maybe I'm not as motivated. I don't put in as much effort because I'm like, well, what's the point? I'm not as good. Right. Yeah. Coaches get stuck in judging themselves, like, yeah. you know, judging themselves against other people, looking at their sites, saying, oh, their site's so amazing. They're so great or judging themselves against a version of themselves. Like, why am I not there already yet? Yes. <laughs> That's a big one. Like, why am I not good yet? Why am I not making, you know, having as many clients yet? And it can just be, you just beat yourself up mentally and you don't need to do that. <laughs> like the results are a judgment on where you are as opposed to feedback on, on your effort. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. What was your journey to your first five clients? What was my journey like? Yeah, when did you, like, like your first five clients, like what was, it's, it's, I love this question. Like what's, what was the journey from zero to five in terms of your clients? Oh, it was so hard. That's why it's, it's such a challenge because not only are you learning new skills, you're also putting yourself out there and you're hoping that people are going to understand the value you offer. I would also say that in the world of coaching, coaching is not nearly as well understood and it's not as easy to communicate the value as something more tangible as like a shirt you buy in a store, like a new pair of running shoes or even a gym, right? You can at least sell like the idea of training your body physically. Mental training and mental coaching is I think a much harder concept for people to realize like this is valuable and worth investing money in. So the initial, like the process from zero to five is not just practicing my skills, putting myself out there, being uncomfortable, failing, messing up, making mistakes. It's all of that anxiety provoking stuff. Um, it's also trying to craft a message and communicate to other people as you're figuring it out, why they should take you on as a coach and why they should hire you. So there's a lot of just discomfort that comes with building your business and going from zero to five. Um, and I remember I had somebody just reach out to me from a website and just say, hey, I found you, and would you want to coach? And I remember being like, can I do this? Can I, can I actually have this? Um, and I think, John, I think you guys referred somebody to me, and I remember being like, am I ready? Can I really do this? <laughs> and it's just so much self-doubt from zero to five. Um, and that's one thing I try to communicate with the coaches that I train is it's totally normal. Like, they might, they'll see, like, I'll, I'll kind of chuckle sometimes just because I've been there and I know how uncomfortable it is. I also know it's so worth it to move past that because with the growth mindset, every time I had a client that a session that went well or that didn't go well or a client that was not a client I actually enjoyed working with because you're not going to love it. You know, every relationship isn't going to be a great coaching relationship, especially at the start. It's all feedback. If you can put it in that bucket of feedback as an opportunity to get better and to refine your message and refine your niche, it's worth it. So, but yeah, the zero to five, it is, it is tough. <laughs> right. Did you rely on workshops? Was it word of mouth, your website? What was the, what was the vehicle? Like, I, you know. I was actually pretty lucky because I, going to high school and being from where I'm from, um, we have really good connections at the high school. So I had clients from like basically networking as well as my website. I would have like the one-offs from my website as well as referrals. Right. That's, I mean, that's goes back to so I mean, a common theme among coaches who are successful is that it comes down to 
networking, who you know, and using the contacts you already have. Yes. To get to that place. When did, when did it feel like your practice uh, really took off or it felt, you know, marketing efforts sustainable? Hmm. Well, so, and I had a little bit of a, a windy road for mine because I was doing it part-time while also working full-time and then I was pregnant. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to use my maternity leave to really dial in and get this going at a, for a full-time capacity. Um, but then my husband's accident, which I'm sure we'll get to, that happened. So my world was really changed. But what happened is when we were going, we went to Michigan for part of my husband's recovery, I made the decision. I was like, I'm going for it. So for me, what when it really took off was when I basically took away any options for plan B, which I don't know, like I, it's not something I always recommend to everybody, but for me going all in, knowing that this is what I want to do and I have to make this work. <laughs> um, that was really the moment for me where I really got, I built my website. I learned how to market. I reached out to my networks and just really making that choice to get in. And for me, it's over delivering. Like I really focus on making sure I'm in excellent, you know, setting expectations, communicating with parents. And from there, I feel like I was very fortunate. I had a lot of referrals versus having to go out and do like a lot of um, just, you know, passive marketing. Right. I mean, that's a big deal I mean, to, to get all that going. Uh, so without plan B, what did you notice know shift in the way that you were motivating towards Oh, going. motivated towards, you know, making it work and just doing what it takes. Cause I think when I had a full-time job, it was like, okay, it's nice to have clients on the side, but I still have the safety net of here. But when there's no safety net and when our whole family's life was like totally flipped upside down, um, it just, again, you just do what it takes. You learn what you, what you learn. I had a newborn baby. So I was like, I remember I did the biz launchers course with Gina and I remember one of the concepts I had to really move past was my perspective on like working nine to five versus putting my son to bed at eight. And then I would stay up till like 2 a.m. working at night. So even shifting that and doing what it took in order to, you know, find the time to really have those blocks of time that helped me just learn from anywhere I could learn and build things out. That's, that's pretty tough. But I'm a seven. It was fun. That's cool, right? It's, 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 it's like it's exciting, right? Moving through, moving through it. So, uh, Matt. Yes. And I know that had a huge impact on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's 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 dive in. All right. Let's do it. Um, it pretty much changed the trajectory of our entire life. So. Um, as we were, had just had our baby, I have a little guy named Hunter, he's five now, and it was 2014, and exactly one month after we had our son, uh, we went to the beach with my family, normal vacation, what we've done for over 20 years, and my husband, Matt, went out on a kayak with my brother, and they were riding their last wave in, but the kayak flipped, and we don't know exactly still like what happened, but it basically flipped in a way that left my husband paralyzed from the waist down. So he had a T12 um, compression fracture of the spine. Um, he was immediately, he couldn't move his legs from the moment of impact, which is classified as a, what's called a complete um, spinal cord injury, which is the worst case. And then from there, I had actually gone home. So I was with my son at the house and I got a knock on the door and all of a sudden my dad was like, uh, your brother called something bad happened to Matt. And I was like, what? And I realized that I had started hearing ambulance sirens 
And that, like, in that moment, like, I had that, those, like, subconscious thoughts where it's like, oh, that's interesting. There's not usually ambulances around here for that long. But as soon as my dad did that, I was like, I made the connection that those were for my husband. So he had to be medevaced um, to Norfolk. So he was medevaced there. We had to drive. We couldn't fly with him. So we drove several hours to meet him there. And that's what the doctor said. Uh, you know, we had to wait the whole night. So they needed a fresh surgery team. So the next day, he couldn't get operated on until early the next morning. And of course, I'm like doing every amount of research I can on my phone. I'm like, but the sooner the better and trying to figure out, but like, don't you want a fresh team? And all the thoughts, all the panic mode of our brains. Um, but longer story short, he underwent surgery. They stabilized his spine. And the doctor told us that he would basically most likely never walk again. Um, I emphasize most likely because that was a huge part in our journey and how it influenced us and plays in the growth mindset. But from there, he spent about a week in ICU. We were then, he was transported up to Philly. So then we spent a couple more months at an inpatient called McGee Rehab. Shout out to McGee, you're amazing too. Um, McGee Rehab, and then we ended up back home. We did all the outpatient treatment we could, that we were allowed by insurance, and then we were told, all right, that's what we got for you. And we ended up back on the couch being like, well, what next? So um, a couple pieces of the good news was that I, when he was originally injured, he was classified as complete, but during his rehab, he was reclassified as incomplete. And it's good news because generally incomplete fractures have a better chance of walking than complete. But, and I remember on my way to the um, hospital, I had found a small research article, again, my academia <laughs> part was kicking in. And there's a research article where a small percentage of a certain study were reclassified. And I just remember thinking like, even if it's the worst case scenario, they still don't know, right? There's still a chance because these people were thought, thought were complete and they were reclassified. So it was like that element of hope that like, okay, they really don't know all the time. And so that was important too, as well. And just the most likely for us gave us that seed of hope where it was like, okay, most likely doesn't mean never. So why not? Let's see what we can do. <laughs> Let's see what's possible. Um, so yeah, so from there, we then found a friend of a friend referred, um, told us about this episode of Say Yes to the Dress that was going to be on. And we watched the episode. There was a girl who had been paralyzed and wanted to walk down the aisle at her wedding. And she was training with this man named Mike Barwis. And so I remember we were sitting there watching the show. We watched them work together. She was able to walk down the aisle at her wedding, an amazing story. At the end of the store, at the end of the episode, we looked at each other. We're like, that is where we need to go. So again, long story short, we did our research. They have, it's um, Barwis Methods in Michigan. Now it's just Barwis. They also treat people who have been told with catastrophic injuries, um, people mm -hmm. with, um, you know, debilitating diagnoses, and just people who are told they don't have much of a chance. They're the kind of people that are like, well, hey, let's see what's possible, right? It's like that outside the box thinking, the growth mindset of like what is potential and let's just see what we can do. We can't guarantee you anything, but we can tell you that we can work and see what's really possible no matter what. Um, so yeah, so we did that. We relocated to Michigan for the better part of two years. That's when I finished my 2.0 training and did all my other trainings with um, Coach Training EDU from there. And I remember getting the email from John. It was like, hey, here's the email. And I was like, hey, hubby, this is pretty much the worst time ever with your accident, but I really want to take this class. 
So and I remember telling John, I'm like, I have a seven month or a five, he was five months old. Um, and I have no idea how this is going to work, but I really want to do it. So, and again, it was so amazing to be able to have that training while also going through all this crazy time in our lives. I'll take a breath there. And see if there's no, I remember more. that. It was, it was amazing to watch you process week after week what was happening in real time and how much hope that you had for the future and just how much you brought, what you brought to the training in that cohort, cohort was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's incredibly inspiring to see how you and Matt have taken something that in so many ways is worst case scenario and used it and built from it and now provides so much support and value and inspiration in the lives of others. Like it's so, it's so incredibly inspiring. Uh, Thank you. We're trying. <laughs> we have a lot of people who inspire us and motivate us that we couldn't do it without our community and our helpers too. And you guys. <laughs> right. So what have you learned about yourself in this, in this process? Oh my goodness. Do we have like four hours? <laughs> <laughs> we have some. <laughs> we have a few hours. <laughs> well, I think it's amazing. Like I actually think about, and I've had these weird moments where I, I do like look back and I wonder like, where would we be if his accident hadn't happened? So I, at the time I was working full time um, in employee engagement and I love that job. Um, my husband was an accountant which if you ever meet Matt, you'll kind of laugh because he just doesn't seem, no offense to accountants, but Matt's just not your typical accountant. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just, like, everyone's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> he'll even... um, well, but what's funny too is like right before Matt's accident, he had been, he had made a comment where he wasn't sure if like accounting was for him. And he was like, I just feel like, because my, my husband's incredibly athletic, um, just really like, just physically talented like I always would get mad at him because he's like good at everything and I'm competitive too um but he had made a comment where he just didn't know if he was using his you know abilities to, to help as many people as he could and so he was thinking about a more and you know, looking into more physically active jobs and so right around that time next thing you know his a key part of his physical ability was then taken and so it's really amazing now to see so since then we basically decided to come home from Michigan, right? We wanted to be back home. And we're like, it's, we love it out there, but why do we have to go out there? And why can't we just have our own? So we basically started our own gym, our own training center. We built it from the ground up. And I just can't imagine like, not only who we have become. So I think about where we might be if this hadn't happened. And I have no idea. Like I truly can't even understand what our path would look like without his accident. And I also just look around at like what has happened because of it. And I get emotional for it. Like, I'm just like, I still can't believe like this has all come of something that seems so tragic and awful. And sure, like we really want him to walk again, of course, but we're so grateful in so many ways. So sorry to your question of like, how have I changed? It's like, whoo, I feel like I've gone through like just intense, accelerated, necessary personal growth. Um, I think what's probably intensified the most is the need to like really tap into gratitude. I think that was one of the big things that got us through is really just tapping into gratitude and looking at when right after Matt's surgery, right? I had to be the one to tell him that he wouldn't walk again. Great. But I also remember the nurse. I was like, how am I going to tell him this? But I remember the nurse telling me like, kind of like whispering in my ear. She was like, just remember to help him focus on what he can still do. 
And so we were, we were there, we had a new baby and thank God he could still hold, you know, hold Hunter. And just to be able to remember like, and have that shift of gratitude for what's still there and what's possible. Because we also saw a lot of people in, in rehab where we were who had way worse injuries than Matt, like, you know, C-level, like higher level quadriplegics with way more challenges than Matt will ever have to face because of this. We have people with traumatic brain injuries, which is a whole different level. People whose significant others couldn't support them anymore. Like there's so, like it really hit home to us how there's always somebody out there who is, has a harder story than you, who has it worse off, who is going through something that's more traumatic or even harder. Because I remember I also had moments where I would be like out to dinner and being like, oh, look at all these people all happy, right? Like everything's great in their world. And I'd be like really like mad and bummed, which I think is part of like the grief process, right? But I remember like having to bring myself out of that and being like, okay, every, like, I don't know what those people, they might look happy at the dinner table, but I have no idea what their story is. And I just really, it's really helped me keep in mind that everybody is going through their own thing. And the best we can do, especially as coaches, is just to be like empathetic towards that and understanding and just to see them as whole as how they are and to help them figure out and support them the best we can. So probably gratitude and I think self-awareness and I think even a desire for personal growth and to master my mindset. Like it's really hit home how important having the right mindset is. So I'm like, I love reading everything I can on building my mindset, growing every day and just learning more. Wow. How is Hunter? I mean, I imagine it's just like, he's got, I mean, this kid, it's gotta be a Jedi. Like what's, yeah, like what do you see in him? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's an amazing and hilarious tiny human being. He's just, and we also think like, I know everybody hates the sign, like the saying that everything happens for a reason, but the way we like to use it is everything happens for a reason and you get to choose the reason. So with Hunter, we actually had just started trying to get pregnant and a lot of friends of ours had had trouble. And so I had kind of set my mind like, okay, I'm like, this is going to take a while. Let's just see what's possible. For us, we were very lucky. It was honestly like, boom, I was like, holy cow, how, how, why, what? I wasn't mentally prepared <laughs> for it to happen. But then a month after his birth, this happened. So I really feel like it happened that way. And we're choosing to think of this way is that he was such a light through this whole thing. Like he was such a motivator for Matt too. Like Matt was like really trying to walk again to try to beat Hunter, right? Imagine trying to walk to beat your son to doing that. Um, and he's just so happy. Like he, I say hilarious, like I know I'm biased, but he's hilarious. <laughs> so, so we just love him. He's, and he's so adaptable. I think one, another hidden blessing in this whole thing is we were in such survival mode that we didn't really have time to really, like we were just going with the bare necessities. We packed a minivan, we moved out to Michigan. Hunter had to figure it out with us too. <laughs> so, so he really like, he had to come to the training center, right? So he had, uh, he grew up with more adults than kids at that time. And he, but right now, like he's so amazing at like talking to people. He has his own friends and community. And a lot of them are adults here at our gym. Like they're his buddies. And I just think it's really cool to see how that experience has also shaped him and helped him just, that kid is not shy for anything. <laughs> so he's already had to travel a lot and do a lot. And he's just, and he keeps us laughing. Like he really is such a good motivator and such a light and he's just hilarious. I'm still trying to figure out what his core motivation type will be. 
Right, it's fun trying to figure out what, like, so where are you on this scale? Uh, how does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's shift to some questions. I know sure. we have about 15 minutes uh, here we can play with. And uh, so if you go, if you add them in the Q&A, that's the, that's the easiest. So everyone can see that. And then two, also we have uh, a blog here. Let's see if I can get to, get to it. Um, oh wait, it's been going for a little bit. I have not been looking at that. But here is the link, the blog link. So you can feel free to put any comments there, anything. Uh, yeah. Uh, mostly a lot of love so far, Lindsay, on the, in the comments. Thanks everybody, love you too. <laughs> All right, so here, here's the first question uh, from, uh, so great to see you. How do you hold on to this mindset in your toughest days? Oh, I love that question. So, and the one thing I've been teaching people a lot with everything going on with the coronavirus, one of the key things I actually taught people I wanted to express is that you have to give yourself space for negative emotion. So the, if we have, if we feel down, anxious, worried, afraid, I think one of the worst things we can do is beat ourselves up for it. So it just basically compounds that negative emotion. And so what I've learned too, and what's really important is to give myself that space to just have a bad day. <laughs> it's okay. I think um, I had a friend write me a card, like we had coffee around the time after his accident. And she had also been going something through something very, very difficult on her end. And then like a little bit later, she sent me this card and she just said, I'm sure you might be tired of everybody telling you how like strong and tough you are. <laughs> I just want to let you know that like, it's okay to be vulnerable. Like, so I still am, right? I still have all the emotions and all the feels. I remember John too, after my first talk at the conference, you're like, never apologize for crying. And it's so hard because I do want to say sorry so much, <laughs> but it's just, it is what it is. It's there, right? Like all the feels, all the emotions come up and it's okay. So that is probably one of the biggest things that helps me hold on to the mindset is just like knowing it's going to pass and knowing that it's okay to have a bad day. Like you don't have to be happy all the time. You don't have to be strong all the time. People understand and the people that, you know, your community will support you and the people that really love you and understand you, they'll, they'll understand as well. So I think that like space for negative emotion, like that's non-judgmental is one of the biggest, best things like I can do to stay positive. And then the other piece is just being mindful of my mind, right? I really pay attention to the thoughts that I have because our thoughts create our emotions and our actions, and our results. So understanding like when, like when everybody was rushing to the stores for, you know, to grab all the supplies, I had some serious moments of anxiety too. And I was like, okay, whoa, like I understand what I'm feeling, but what thoughts are leading to that? And so that type of awareness about my mindset really helps me backtrack because then I can consciously shift my thoughts because I also teach a lot about like how our brains work, right? Our primitive brain wants to keep us alive and survive and thinks worst case scenario, but we can all, and we have a default mode, but when we're aware of our mindset, we can then consciously choose the mindset that we want to try on. So I think having the idea of basically one, paying attention to my mind and my thoughts and two, knowing that my thoughts are a choice is incredibly helpful. So we can always choose. There's always a choice. That's what I tell everybody is, even if you have a two not so great choices, like you always have a choice in how you think about things. And that helps kind of, it helps me reset, woosah, 
and then mindfully choose, okay, this is how my default is and it's negative. I'm having a bad day. Do I want to let it be permanent or do I want it to be temporary and move forward? And then I, for me, obviously make the choice to move forward. <laughs> right. When you know that uh, you've, you've done enough negative emoting and when it's, when it's time. Yeah. That is a good question. I think there's a strategy I teach. I actually stole it. I didn't steal it. I borrowed Hal Elrod. He gets like a five minute timer. Um, he has this process where he basically gives himself five minutes to feel it. And then he'll say, can't change it. Right. And then he'll move forward. Now it's a good way to start. I don't know if there's any harder set time or, um, just like benchmark for when you need to move forward. Because I think if you then you can fall into the trap of them beating yourself up for it. Right. If you're like, okay, I gave myself five minutes and I still feel bad. Now I'm going to like feel even worse. <laughs> but I do think there's like being focused on the future and knowing like when you're spinning your wheels and not helping yourself. Like when you just feel like you're digging yourself deeper, you reach a tipping point where you're like, it's like, okay, now's the time to move forward. And it varies. I also think it, it does vary. And that's why coaching is so valuable because you can get some insight into whether or not you're staying stuck or you're choosing to stay stuck. Right. With this idea of knowing and unknowing, like this, I mean, what really struck me in the conference when you talked about the unknowable potential, that yeah. it's not just unlimited or it's not just, you know, something that, uh, you, you know, uh, can always be increased, but the idea that it cannot be known. How, how does that matter? Or in what way does that matter? Yeah, so if, and I would ask everybody, so when you think of something that's not possible, when it's completely unknowable, what emotion comes up first? Fear. Right? Yes, most people, because that's our brains, right? We have our primitive brains that want to know things. But then if we use our higher level brains, then we can really think about, okay, so what does it really mean? And what can we make it mean? So and is it's usually really scary and i was the kind of person that likes to know things right so i said that in my talk i was like i came from this place where i was in research i asked questions like i would study i like to know things and all of a sudden i was thrown in this place where literally no doctor could tell us anything for sure at all and i was like i'm sorry how am i supposed to come to terms with this like my brain short-circuited <laughs> but then as i was reading about unknowable potential it can actually bring like so unknown can be scary or unknowable can be exciting. And it all, it all depends on how you choose to look at it. And so for us, like, sure, we don't know if Matt's gonna walk again, but he also could walk again. So it's also knowing that like, there's an element of like unknown and surprise and surprise can be good. Some people don't like surprises, <laughs> but it all depends on how you choose to face it, right? So then there's that like conscious choice of like, okay, we have no idea when the Corona crisis is going to come to a close. We have, we really don't know like what the next steps are going to be. That is scary. I understand that, but there's also a lot of potential and opportunity into what we learn from this and how we move forward. And so really trying to focus on the unknowable as potential and surprise and excitement and future forward focus. Like it can really, you can probably see my energy change just talking about it. Right, it can really change your energy around it and how you direct your actions and your thoughts. So it's amazing. I love it. I used to hate it, but now once I could wrap my mind around it, the unknowable I think is a great thing. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it forces you to shift away from uh, trying to quantify mm -hmm. to you, you can't. You just have to be in the present moment and explore. Like there's do what, like, what's here right now? Okay, explore. Like, that's, yeah. 
uh, in, in this, in this bit, right? In this last little bit, what, even as you're talking, I know you're talking out loud, it's like we're here in this, in this situation. What have you learned about yourself in the last hour? Or what, what's your, hour? yeah, in this last bit, or what's been the, what have you noticed? Oh my goodness. I just think that like, I think it's amazing how much, so, and maybe tying it back to being a seven, like just how much I continue to love coaching and how valuable it is. Like, I really think everybody need, about myself though. Sorry. Cause now I'm like, everybody needs this. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, everybody needs to embrace it. I just think about, price, yeah. yeah. Well, I just think it's good. It's a good reminder for me to, even in the times like where I do get worried. So like our business is being impacted by this hundred percent right now, but really trying to be mindful of embracing that unknowable as opportunity and potential and positive, because it really, it can go either way. We don't know, but what I do know when I like to reinforce to myself and others is that we can handle anything that comes our way. We're designed to survive and thrive, but it's up to us to make that choice. So just helping me take even more ownership of the choices we're going to make moving forward as all of this craziness continues. Right, right. Thank you, Lindsay. This yeah. is amazing. And I'd like to end with how can, uh, you, ha you have some things going on with Stand Strong and you have on some online workout resources for us. Yeah. What, what do you have going on and what is the best way that people can get in touch with you? Oh, absolutely. So um, thank you for asking too. So we, we had to, within 24 hours, we had to move our business online. So we have a brick and mortar gym in our town, but we're like, okay, so this is really happening. Let's do it. So we moved everything online. And for us, the structure that's worked really well is uh, we have a, a, a public Facebook page. If you look up Stand Strong Training Center, shout out to my peeps. Here's our logo. <laughs> um, so if you go to our page, there's a pin at the top where if anybody's interested, we actually have a private group that we're offering for only $29 because we want to be able to make it affordable for everybody who might be hit hard. But it's just as important, I would say more important now to stay healthy and well. And we focus a lot on both mental and physical health. So we're doing daily mindset masteries by me. So you'd see me every day. And then we're also doing um, daily workouts at 3 p.m by me, but also with my husband. He trains, I do it. So I basically complain and hurt a lot. No, I'm just kidding. They're good workouts. They're adaptable to your everybody's fitness levels. <laughs> I've just been doing them extra. So we have live workouts and the workouts are all saved. So, and they're all for at home. So if anybody wants to, you know, whether you're looking to get started and getting a little bit healthier, whether you want to work on your mindset or whether you just want some solid at home workouts with a bit of a goofy bunch, cause we do tend to keep it silly. Um, then come join us. So go to, to our public Facebook page, Stand Strong Training Center. The pin at the top will tell you the link. It's only $29. So you could do that and then follow the steps to ask to join our private Facebook group. We would love to have you. It's really fun in there. We have a good group. Lindsay, it's just, it's amazing. Like your story, like you, Matt, the whole thing is so inspiring. It really is. And Coach Training EDU is so lucky to have you as a trainer. And lucky to have you guys. It's, I mean, I just feel like this team, I'm just the, the depth of gratitude for you and, and what, like, and then what's to come, right? Decades ahead of us, unknowable, but decades, right? Oh, good. Uh, so much of good. impact in this world and what we, what this is going to be. Thank you, Lindsay. It's such a pleasure to have you here for this conversation. Uh, and thank you everyone for uh, all the participants and people watching this live. Uh, here is, again, here's the blog link. Please, please, please go there. Put some blog comments in. Let's create community.
Thank you, everyone. Thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. Bye. See you. Bye.